Hello and welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. My name is Josiah King. It's still Josiah King? I think so. Mine's still Chuck Jones. This morning I had chicken waffles, we're at IHOP by the way. I had chicken waffles with honey mustard. It's uh, I try to go, I sometimes it just calls my name and I can't help it. Just every once in a while. I had a Colorado omelet. Bacon, beef, pork sausage, and ham, green peppers, onions, and cheddar. And salsa. And salsa. It was good. I've had it before. It's it's a decent decent omelet. So this morning we're talking about the Bible. The Bible. B I B L E. Yeah, so the Bible is not really just one book. It's actually a collection of books. 66 in what we would call our standard Bible. Now, 33 in the new? 30, 27 in the new. 39 in the old. Um, and so there's kind of a... So the Catholic Church has the Apocrypha, which are, are books that they seem... To be, they deem as valuable, and so those are kind of added to to their Bible. Then you have uh, what, like what Jews would use, like their Hebrew Bible, and uh, it actually has the same content as our Old Testament, but they just arrange it a little differently, yeah. and they combine some books. So, like First and Second Chronicles isn't First and Second Chronicles; it's just combined. Um, so technically, they have fewer books by number, but the same content. Uh, also in a slightly different arrangement. They have psalms at the end. They have, you know, the Torah at the beginning like we do. But, um, and then, obviously, there's the 27 books in the New Testament, which are specific to Christianity. The, the Jews and Muslims also look at the Old Testament as authoritative. Uh, Christians are solely looking at the New Testament as authoritative scripture and it has as Chuck said 27 books so it has the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke and John Matthew, Mark and Luke are called Synoptic Gospels because they pretty much cover the same thing and John is has a slightly di- different way of recording but it's still gospel like would you, would you consider the Gospels to be historical books? Yeah, they're kind of like a historical narrative with a purpose. So they kind of record the life of Jesus, but the important parts that show you who he is and the important things about him. So I think they're historically accurate. They're they're real life events that happened. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Acts is history. Yeah. Acts is a Luke... uh, probably wrote Acts as well and yep. Acts is another record uh, although it's not the life of Jesus um, it's just the recording of the apostles lives so that's why it's called Acts the Acts of the Apostles not like a Acts that chops wood but A-C-T as in, an act in a play in a play so not that these guys are playing around no. they're very serious and there was real life events and that's when we meet Paul, who is this uh, Jewish leader who's persecuting 
a very well-studied Jewish guy who's persecuting Christians has this conversion experience after he sees Christ and then he becomes an apostle and he goes on to write the majority of the New Testament books um, we call those the Pauline epistles so those are epistle it just means letter those are letters that Paul wrote Pauline Christians have come up with all different fancy ways of saying instead of just saying Paul's letters we have to say Pauline epistles but so well, that's how we know you're in the club right right so everything from Romans um, to Colossians and then we have uh, Timothy and Philemon and some of those other books are all written by Paul and then we get to non-Pauline books in the New Testament, which is everything from Hebrews to the end of the book um, in order. So Hebrews, James, Jude, Revelation, uh, Peter's, and the Johns. And those are not written by Paul, although some people think that Paul potentially wrote Hebrews. Yeah. We're not 100% sure of the authorship. It's not worth arguing over. So just an interesting way of how your Bible's laid out, if you look at the structure of the New Testament, you have the Gospels first, and then Acts, and then you start the Paul books, and it goes from the biggest book to the smallest book. So Romans is the largest, and then it goes down in size. And then the non-Pauline book starts with Hebrews, and it goes down to the smallest size of the non-Pauline books. And then, of course, Revelation's kind of its own thing at the end of the book. Kind of the capstone. Yeah. Ends with no words should be added or subtracted. Nope. And one of the things that struck me many years back was that trying to determine how valuable the Bible is, the only source was the Bible itself. Mm. The Bible says it's good. Yeah. Valuable. Well, you know, that's not a very good witness. You know, everybody says, I'm innocent. Yeah. I didn't do it. I don't belong here. There's a lot of people who, uh, atheists and skeptics, who look at the uh, circular reasoning of the Bible and they say, they say, they see the Bible says it's authoritative, therefore it's authoritative, and you can trust where it says the Bible's authoritative. And so you can see how that... It doesn't really maybe work. It doesn't really work that way. So what a lot of skeptics want is someone who's exactly like them, who recorded a non-biased history of what happened around Jesus. So they want someone who's using the scientific method who's just following around Jesus recording what's going on in that time but it doesn't really make sense that there would be a, a document like this because I think if you spent that much time with Jesus and you were recording let's say you did start out someone who is a little unsure of Jesus's authenticity and you were going around recording it, you would probably start to see who he was, and then all of a sudden you become one of these bad witnesses who are yeah. a believer in what they're seeing, who are also recording it. Yeah. Well, science is good. Mm -hmm. 
Did I say that correctly? Science is good. It is. But science doesn't help in matters of things that are invisible, can't be measured, can't be duplicated. Science just doesn't work there. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to matters of morality or faith, science isn't going to help any. Yeah. And I know that people are desperate to find archaeological evidence to prove the Bible right. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking, why do you need to prove the Bible right? Yeah. It is either right or it is, isn't right. Mm -hmm. And proof is going to make the difference. Yeah. We walk by faith, not by sight. I think uh, if you really do spend some time reading the Bible, it becomes evident how true it is. Um, there's just very few things I've ever read that have as much insight into human nature and how the world works. Just it's so accurate and so deep for, I mean, there's no psychologist, you know. No, Sigmund Freud wasn't even he didn't a twinkle even. in his great 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 grandfather's eyes when this book was written, and still didn't even like it. No, he didn't like it. But there's just so many true things. You were talking about archaeological evidence, and although I agree we don't need it, there have been some remarkable things that prove that the Bible's, at least the Old Testament recording and some of the New Testament, those things are true. So you find um, things like David, like inscribed on old tablets, and or like Sennacherib, who is a Assyrian king, invaded Judah, but we read in Hezekiah's story that uh, God like protected Jerusalem and sent this Assyrian army off and running with their tail between their legs and we read this account from Sennacherib that we found and it says I had Hezekiah like a bird in a cage like <laughs> holding him in his hand and then all of a sudden it skips on to the next part and you're like wait what happened with Hezekiah but when you look at all the other records of just earlier in that same writing from Sennacherib it talks about how he viciously conquered all these other peoples um we get recordings from like Pontius, like that record Pontius Pilate as the uh, prefector, or what, I forget exactly what he was, but over the area of Judah. Uh -huh. And everybody thought this wasn't a real guy, so because nothing had ever been discovered with his name on it until they did find it. And they're like, oh, I guess there was a guy named Pontius Pilate who did rule over this area of, during the time of Jesus. So it's just kind of like, huh. Some of these things do line yeah. up. Why didn't you just believe the Bible in the first place? I agree. You should. I think you definitely should. I think we should talk a little bit about what the Bible is, though. As far as why is it, why does it exist? Like, why, what's it here for? Okay. I got a, a quick, brief answer. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
those two are the top. I like to call them the prime directive. Well, fundamentally, basically, Scripture tells us how to do those two. Mm -hmm. That's what it's for. I agree. I think it, its purpose is uh, to reveal God to us and to reveal humanity. Um, God is the author of this book. Uh, it's, it's God breathes. And that just means it's its origin is from God. Mm -hmm. and, and so if you were you were to hear God speak audibly, if you could stand that, what you would hear is scripture. Mm -hmm. There's not very many new things. Every single time Israel kind of like falls in, does something bad. This, it's the same message. <laughs> you know, like, God is consistent in that and who he is. Yeah. And what he says. So, yeah, if you did hear him talk to you, you would hear things that you heard in the Bible. That's right. Because he's given us everything we need in Scripture. What yeah. Peter say, given us all things for life and godliness. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the trap is... I want something new. I want something juicier. I want something spicier. We are attracted to the uh, the novel things in life. Yeah. People, you, you said earlier, people don't like to change, mm -hmm. but they like new things. Yeah. The Apple's newest, coming out with a new product. Yep, got to buy it. Newest phone, newest style. Yeah. It's If it's new, it's interesting. And... That's not something that the Bible is. Now, it can be new to individuals, maybe discovering it for the first time. Uh-huh. And I think as you read it more, I think your mind is opened to new things, deeper things. And, yes, yes. But the words themselves aren't new. They're old. 4,000 to 2,000 years old, mm -hmm. depending on what part you're looking at. Chuck's opening his Bible. I mean, we're about to get into some trouble here. <laughs> Hate evil, love good. Do you need clarification for that? Is that Amos? <clears throat> Amos, yes. You know, we got to have new stuff. New music, new worship courses, new this, new that. There was a story of a preacher who went to a church as a pastor and for the first four weeks he preached the same sermon. Have you heard this? I think I have, yeah. So one of the old timers came up to him and said, how come you keep preaching the same sermon every week? He says, I'm going to keep preaching it till you get it. <laughs> Behold, this is Amos 8, 11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land. You familiar with that? Hmm. Not a famine of bread, nor a, th nor a thirst for water, but for, of hearing the word of the Lord. They shall wander, wander from sea to sea and from north to south. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, 
but shall not find it. Hmm. The same message. You want some good action stories, read some of the prophets, the minor prophets. Yeah. When I look at the Bible, I see God kind of weighing out history and his goals of what he wants from humanity. So you see him creating humans in Genesis, creates everything in Genesis, and he creates these special creatures, people, creates us, that are in his image. They're, they're different than every other creature. And you can see there's a desire for a relationship with us. He, he's walking in the garden. He's talking to us. He, he's putting us in charge of the creation. He said, hey, be fruitful, multiply, you know, take care of the earth. That's what he wants from us. So he created this, created this place for us. He created us. And he wants a relationship with us. He wants to be with us. And then sin comes into the picture, which is this disobedience that separates us from God. And God is so holy, he's, he's perfect, he's set apart. He can't be, sin and him can't coexist in the same place. Right. So right. if he was here with us, and we were sinful, we yeah, we, we would die. That's what happens in the Old Testament when people didn't pur purify themselves correctly, they would, they would be killed. And so the entire point of what's going on is that God is trying to get us back to the right standing. He wants us not only get back into the right standing, but he wants us to get all the way back to where creation was at the beginning, where everything's perfect and there's no death or, or pain. Everything is good as he created it. And so we, we kind of see the, the beginning of Genesis with this perfect creation. And shortly after, <laughs> the sin part. We don't know how long. Yeah, we don't know how long. But as far as the span of the Bible, it's only a couple of chapters. Verses. Yeah. And then we start sinning. And then we get all the way through Scripture. And in Scripture, is God revealing himself and the problem of humanity and the solution to that, which ultimately uh, which ultimately ends in Jesus. He's the ultimate solution to sin. He, he died once for all. And then at the very end of the book in Revelation, in Revelation 21, we get this picture again of this new creation where everything is good and there's no more pain and suffering. So we started with paradise and then there's a problem in the middle and then we end with paradise back the way that God wants it. Yep. Don't be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. That's the verse. So, what are you pulling out of that? Now I can't remember. <laughs> the point was, this was going somewhere. <laughs> but I like bacon. <laughs> From Adam to today... We've become, we've become experts at devising sin and wickedness. We don't need any more instruction in that. We got that down. As far as technology goes, it brings a greater potential for good. 
and I think of greater potential for evil. Yeah, because you're not going to do one without the other. That's not going to happen. Now. Yeah, it's become increasingly easier to save lives and increasingly easier to take them as time has went on. And yeah, yeah we're kind of heading towards this uh, climactic ending. A where, showdown. Yeah, where Jesus is going to, as Revelation says, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make the nations of the earth the nations of God. He's going to retake everything and he's going to set it right with a rod of iron mm -hmm. which is this Old Testament symbol of kingship of authority of power this kind of unbending uh, uncontestable authority no favorites yep just righteous judgment you know correct judgment yep so you better settle in on that now yeah so it's not such a rude awakening in the future yeah. The Bible is this incredible source of life and knowledge, and it's how we get to know God. Yep. And I think in a world of spirituality where people like to be spiritual, but they don't want like to be to, obedient. Yeah, they don't want to have faith. They don't want to be obedient. They just they they like to be spiritual. But that you can't see it, but I'm putting it in quotations. Spiritual and. There's a, you know, there's a lot of different paths in life, and a lot of different people who say the correct thing, what the correct thing is, and the correct way to live. And I've studied a lot of these, and um, for example, let me tell you a story about uh, my friend named Alex Davila. He's a guy from Nicaragua. He's he was not a Christian. He was, lived a very secular life. And then he kind of had this reckoning where he realized that he needed something. He was looking for an anchor for faith. But he's like, which one's true? So he, he studied, and he, uh, Nicaragua is a majorly Catholic nation. And so he's like, that's the one I want to don't want to look at, <laughs> you know, because... He's seen the perversion. He, he doesn't want to look at Christianity. Yeah. And so he studies Buddhism and Islam, Judaism. He studies all these different faiths, like, intently. And then he's like, none of this is right. And then he reads the Bible, the New Testament. And he's like, he so didn't want to be a Christian. But as he read it, it just came to life. Couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. And now he's this fervent preacher who gave up his secular job and started churches and things like that. And I guess kind of that's the point I'm making. Give the Bible a chance and read it because it's going to come to life. If you humble yourself and open yourself up to God, it's going to speak to you. It will. And it's going to change your life. Yes. It was years ago... There was a restaurant I liked to go to, and they had a uh, special on prime rib, baked potato. Mm. Sounds great. Don't know what else to tell you about that. 
nothing else. Well, I can say. remember setting their order and that, and then they bring it and set it before you on the table. And you pick up your tools after you pray and <laughs> dig into that. Oh boy. Even after breakfast, I could go for some of that. Yeah. <coughs> well, if you can imagine the sensation of all of that, there was a time when I sat down at my desk and opened the Bible and was just going to read, not study for anything, just read it. I got that same sensation mm. of having a nice meal set down in front of me. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful. It is satisfying in a way that water and food can never be. No. It's uh, this nourishment that satisfies. That satisfies in an entirely unexplainable way. It, it nourishes your spirit. Read the Bible. Yeah, read the Bible. And I kind of want to uh, share with you some facts here. Okay. Uh, and with everybody listening, that maybe will help calm your doubts of authenticity or accuracy a lot of people look at the bible and they say that it's not authoritative or it's inaccurate because it's so fairy old. tales or it's fairy tales and or it's been corrupted over time because it's so old and it's been copied so many times but compared to other historical books that we look at as true such as the Iliad or Aristotle. Like we look at these old writings and we say, hey, they're, these are accurate and true, or at least accurate to what they said. And we don't really question those things. But compared to the Bible, those books are, those books' historical data is just so small. So let me just tell you some facts here. So of the New Testament, we have 24,000 copies, and some of those are just fragments in the New Testament, but we have 24,000 source materials. Separate pieces. Yep. Some of it whole copies, some of it whole books, some of it just fragments of books. But we have 24,000 source materials, and the newest of them, or the closest to the original of them that we have, is within probably 40 years, maybe even within 10 years of the original. So you're saying within 40 years, one generation, somebody made a copy. Yeah, yep. Within 40 or 10 years, someone probably Zondervan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Set up here in, in Michigan. Um, so, and then the oldest complete copy we have in the New Testament was in 300 years. Uh, that we still have is within 300 years of the original. So compare that to the next best book, which is Homer's The Iliad. There's 643 copies now in fragments. Remind you that there's 24,000 in the New Testament compared to 643. And the closest we have to the originals is 500 years. Well, you, just to be fair and honest and transparent and open, I think the Bible would have more of an impact on individuals than the alien. For sure. And people would want to make copies of the Bible more than the alien. You know, copyright laws, and you can't be writing this down. <laughs> Those didn't exist, luckily. But, and so the Bible meant more to people than the other 
things. But one of the telltale signs I learned in college was when uh, people are teaching and they tell you this is what the original says, mm -hmm. they're lying. Yep, it's just what the copy they had said, the oldest yeah. copy. The Greek text, mm -hmm. the original. I remember growing up in a youth group and that was, that was the thing, man, the original, the original. And all we had was a emphatic diglot. Oh yeah, that's close to the original. Yeah. Yeah, the original, um, we don't have originals, but that shouldn't shake us because every single time we find a new document, it's, it's accurate yeah. to what we have. And uh, for example, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and they have it a complete book of Isaiah. Yeah, that's that was, amazing, isn't it? It is. It's incredible because it was 100 years before Jesus, over 2,000 years old, and we have this complete well, scroll. And if they had taken care of those things when they first found them, instead of how yeah. they treated them, we may have had more. But that's beside the point. Yeah, archaeological science has made a lot of advancements yeah. in the last 60 or 70 years. Well, when I was in uh, taking graduate classes, one of them was New Testament criticism. Mm -hmm. And uh, are you old enough to remember ivory soap? Uh, you the floats? Yeah. It's a big invention. You know, you don't lose your bar of soap at the bottom of the tub anymore. Yeah. We just sell them air. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the advertisement for Ivory Soap was, was that it's 99 and 44, 100% pure. Dr. Uh, Dr. Brian Atra was teaching us about the New Testament, these kinds of things. And his take on it was that all the manuscripts that we have and comparing them all and the uh, deviations we have between are so small that if you were, he, his idea was that if you were going to translate a new Bible, new version of the New Testament, mm -hmm. it would look like a version that's already in existence because what we understand to know about the New Testament Greek is that it's, the texts we have are very accurate. Very. Yeah. He said, now how they do this mathematically on the Bible, I don't know. But he said that they've got 99.50%. They this is what the original Greek said. Mm -hmm. So it's the New Testament is purer than ivory soap. Yeah, I, I think it definitely is, and it's super reliable. Yeah, and like that Dead Sea Scroll of Isaiah, it's a thousand years older than the next oldest copy, and they're almost identical. It just well, shows yeah. you how much care was put into copying. Well, they took that seriously. Very seriously. I, I, I've never done it, but I've heard stories that when the scribes were copying the Old Testament that they had a pen, one pen that was used for God's name. Hmm. And you wrote his name with that, put it down, picked up your ordinary pen and did the rest of the text. You know, in the, in the old, uh, old, old-timey book maker's shop, 
they would have the scribes sitting at desks so the more prosperous booksellers would have more scribes and then they have one fella reading a copy and these guys copying it down now he comes to a word like which mm -hmm. or uh, weather a homophone yeah sounds the same and so two guys write down two different words but they're both correct mm -hmm. who made the mistake yeah or the guy is reading the book and he comes across the word I don't know how to spell that mm -hmm. make something up yeah, most of it is just spelling. All the most of the differences, a majority yeah. of them are just spelling differences. So, like, if you had a British guy and an American guy making copies, and the word flavor came up, you'd have a U. In Here, the, go, the right one. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. You'd have a U in the flavor, and in the British guy, and then the English guy, there wouldn't be a U. The way that it's supposed yeah. to be written, by the way. But they'd both be right. <laughs> they'd both be right. So it's mostly just spelling error, or spelling difference, rather. Yeah. That's most of the differences that we find in the text. Yeah, I, I think our our Bible is extremely accurate and yep. trustworthy, and so many man hours have went into authenticating, reproducing, studying, all these different It's unbelievable texts. how much work goes into that. Yeah. I know that I don't have the brain or the patience to do that kind of work, and I'm really thankful for the people who have. But yeah. what it comes down to is this Bible. The Bible is this amazing, amazing document, the best-selling book ever, the most copied book ever, and it's for good reason. Yes. So you should read it. <laughs> I should. And everybody listening should read it. Well, uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Breakfast Theology. Um, please, if you enjoyed this, share it. Uh, you can get a hold of us at breakfasttheology at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you there. Please leave a review or a, a rating on a however. Question. You, a question. Um, correction. <laughs> a correction, maybe even. We want to be accurate. I don't think we're ever going to be as accurate as Old Testament scribes, though. No. All right, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for a little conversation this morning, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. God bless you. Bye.